Amen. Remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning from Psalm 16, otherwise known as Colossians 1, as we now turn our attention back to that passage that we first meditated upon. Colossians 1, beginning verse 19, hear the Word of God. For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is Christ, all the fullness should dwell, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'm going to skip down to Colossians chapter 2, picking it up at verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Our gracious Father in heaven, we ask that the Spirit would fall upon us this day and that you would see um, and be pleased that we might see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would open up our eyes that we might see the glory of your grace, The glory of the work that you have done in our lives, of which we have not deserved. We pray you would strengthen our faith in the very things that we hold to, but open our eyes more clearly that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up, whose train fills the temple. And as we behold his face today and through the scriptures, we pray that you would change us from glory to glory into his likeness. Oh God, we ask that you would help us in our infirmity. In the weakness of this temple, of this body, we pray that you would make us attentive spiritually to the very word that you have given us. That today we might hear the voice of our shepherd and so follow him. That the spiritual things of the word that are spiritually appraised would be adorned with your spirit to give us an attention and an embrace of the glorious gospel. Remove all obstacles in our thinking. Remove all obstacles in our depravity that we would at this time be open to what you would have for us that we might walk in faith and walk in the light and walk in the spirit and walk in love and walk in this gospel and not be moved away from the gospel. That we might continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, Be not moved away from that hope of the gospel, which we not only have once heard, but embraced. We pray this day you would stir it up new in us and fresh in us. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. may be seated. As we begin our series through the vision of heritage, as we had mentioned last Lord's Day, We want to begin with the most fundamental level of our Christian lives, and that is the gospel. If we do not be moved away from the gospel of hope, which we have once heard, that will be the theme this morning. 
As we begin considering the gospel, we need to start where it gives us the great understanding of ourselves, and that is the total depravity. John Calvin, when he was writing the Institutes of Christian Religion, was torn. Do we begin with man? No, we begin with God. We begin with God. We begin with man. So it's, it's this, you have to come to this approach with an understanding of God, but we have to understand really our great need. The doctrine of man expresses our nature and our very need for grace when we consider this doctrine of total depravity. We need God's grace in our lives, ongoing, every single day. But we will only see the need for that grace and rely on that grace when we come to understand the nature of our depravity and the nature of our ruin. And the only way to obtain the remedy for your problems is if there is first the right diagnosis for the problem. The problem is so great in humanity that we have not a chance of knowing ourselves, of our issues, unless someone tells us. That's what God did in His grace. He told us of our biggest issue. He tells us in His Word. In fact, I'm convinced that our, the nature of our problem is so great that it will be illustrated by the very fact that some here today will likely misunderstand me or even perhaps recoil against the very things that this message holds out for us. See, this is one of the first parts of what we would call or known as the doctrines of grace and, and the hum, human pride tends to recoil against grace rather than embrace it. And that just shows and illustrates the very thing that this doctrine holds out before us. We still struggle with this, by the way. But in spite of our depravity, God is gracious to reveal to us our problem and our need. And because He did so, He's interested in fixing and providing grace for our problems. Now, you need to understand this morning that God is very interested in your problems. The biggest problem with our problems is not that God is not interested, but that we are not in a biblical way. That's our biggest problem. But it finds God's grace to help us in our problems, we need to become interested in the true nature of those very problems. The problem with man's depravity is so severe that even Christians battle the old man in believing what is true about that old nature. And when we do not accept that the problems that we face are primarily within me, we will then turn to idolatry. We seek other remedies and other counsels and other solutions other than the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. The Bible says you are complete in Him. The tendency for many Christians is to consider the gospel for the unsaved only. Or that the doctrine of total depravity is really just related to them. Once a person is saved, the gospel seems to be more relevant to, to them, right? As though it was a ticket into a theater somewhere, and once we got in the the theater and our entrance was made, then we can throw away our ticket. That's often how, oftentimes how Christians look at the gospel. But the 
Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And salvation is not merely uh, spoken of in the past tense in the Bible. For the gospel is the power of God to those who are being saved. It is the good news of God's grace to address us in all of our problems. And unless we begin with an understanding of ourselves and the nature of our depravity, we will not seek God's grace to meet us where we struggle. Total depravity is the doctrine of man that informs us from the Scriptures of the comprehensively depraved nature we all have. And that is the source of all of our problems. And then it holds out for us the very prospect of receiving God's grace for those problems in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you this morning have problems in your life? How many of you want the grace to help you in problems of your life? How many of you think the gospel is necessary today to help you in those problems? All right? But how do we act? How do we think? Do we really believe that? The gospel of grace begins with our understanding of our need. And this morning is not a comprehensive exposition of the doctrine of total depravity, but rather a quick overview leading us to Christ because you are complete in Him. I want us to see that gospel and that gospel addresses us in all of our problems, and the gospel supplies grace to us in those problems. I want you to repeat that with me if you would. I am complete in Christ. Say that. I am complete in Christ. That's the truth. That's what God says, and He wants you to know it. He wants you to believe it. You are complete in Christ. And if you can own that fact, you will spend the rest of your line, life drawing a line from your problems up to Christ, where you know that your completeness is in Him. For the rest of your lives, you're going to be discerning and, and, and parsing out sometimes those problems, and yet drawing a line from them to Christ. It's not that you're focusing on them down here, but you acknowledge them so you can know that you are complete in Christ. But if you do not own this truth, you will deny the very gospel with your life. And there's some things we need to do here at Heritage a little different in living out this gospel. So let's first of all consider the doctrine of total depravity. First of all, I want to just give us about four points for this doctrine before I move on uh, to some further points that I'm going to make in this morning's message. But just let's consider this doctrine of total depravity in just four basic points this morning. The first one is this. The Bible states that all of fallen mankind is in total rebellion against God. You're going to have to own that one. Complete in all of its parts. And you, the Bible says in Colossians 1.23, and you, you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's how he's speaking of you before you came to Christ. That's true of us all. People and even some Christians do not like to admit that mankind is in total and complete rebellion against God. And you will not know this unless someone told you. And God has told you. Your designer, your maker, your creator 
and God has told you, you are in complete rebellion against him. But God, I, that's, that's not how I was before I was saved. Oh, oh, God says, oh, yes, it was. Now, who are you going to believe? Yourself or are you going to believe God? Because he says you were, in your minds, alienated and enemies against God by your works, in your mind, with your will. The totality of your faculties was in rebellion against God. That's what he says. But we tend to think of ourselves good or a little good or we have some inherent good in us we like to think of ourselves actually better than we actually are in a better light than what the word tells us we are enemies with god that's what the bible says Apart from Christ, apart from His grace, and how we are naturally coming into this world, we are at enmity with God. We are enemies with God. Even if you don't like to hear it being said, it is true that you hated God. It's the way we think in our minds. In your mind, you are alienated from God. And it's how we live our lives, by your wicked works. You have demonstrated that is true. The Bible further says that there are none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not even a single person who has ever walked this earth, save Jesus, that even seeks God. Even seeks Him. And what sometimes looks like man seeking for God is not a genuine seeking for God. It is not that work of the Spirit working in man. Man will seek God in a pinch. In order for God to preserve their life from danger, or he'll seek God to enhance their life in some way. But that's not a genuine seeking of God. The Bible says those who are in darkness do not come to the light. And Christ came into the dark world in which we are all products of Darkness, and such we all were. So the first problem, and the first declaration, and the first truth that we need to understand about total depravity is the Bible teaches that we are a fallen mankind in total rebellion in God. Total rebellion. The second thing that the Bible informs us is that in this total rebellion against God, that everything we do in this state is sin. Everything you do is sin, apart from the grace of God. Now, we're, you're going to take it for just a moment and say, before you were saved, everything you did was sin. All your good works was sin. And you have to own that because you were in total rebellion against God. The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, whatever is not from faith is sin. And if you had not embraced the Lord Jesus Christ and you were not trusting in him, and I mean a saving trust where you have placed your faith in Christ and you have turned your life and you've denied yourself and you have been placed and entrusted your life to walk in his ways and obey his commandments and obey the gospel, how the Bible would put it, if whatever is not of that faith is sin. Whatever man does is the product of his rebellion against God is sin. 
It's kind of like a king who takes subjects and he trains them for war, and then they turn those skills against the king. See, the many things that man can do and often does do, he can do simply because he is made in the image of God. And if man did these things in the service of God, the very things that he does, if he does them in the service of God in the right way, those those things can be praised. But apart from this very motive, this interior bent and purpose and objective and out of love for God and to the glory of God, those endeavors, no matter how good they may appear, no matter how good the work is of itself, that you doing is sin. You have to own that. The Bible says, even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Just a mundane as sin. Because you're doing it in rebellion to God. Every good deed that you can possibly do, every good philanthropy work that you can possibly do, apart from faith, is sin. It's total rebellion. You're turning the very things that God has given you and taking that image of God, which is really the only way you can do those good things. The good things are good, but you are sin. It's because you're turning it upon Him in your rebellion. This is really one of those very points at which many people will argue. Well, look at the good that that person has done in the world. Therefore, that person is good. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible informs us, apart from doing things for God's glory and service to Him, out of the love for Him, above all things to the glory of Him, in faith, is sin. And that's rebellion against God. Romans 7, 18, Paul says, I know that no good dwells in me that is in my flesh. There is no good in my flesh. Now that's a radical confession of the truth that our rebellion is nothing we think or feel is good. Everything we think or feel in our rebellion against God, in our total depravity, is not good. It's rebellion. So our fallen condition has left mankind in rebellion against God, and that rebellious state, in that rebellious state, everything that we do, even plowing our fields, is sin because it is not done with the right purpose and motive in mind. Sin. Rebellion. Which brings me to my third point on this total depravity. Man's inability to submit to God and to do good is total. Man's ability to do good, man's inability to do good is total. It's comprehensive. Total depravity means also that man is totally unable to submit to God. Now, I didn't say that. The Bible says that. This is not Marion's view. This is God telling you exactly 
who you are, what you are, the nature of your depravity. Romans 8 says it this way, because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. That's exactly what Colossians 1.23 says. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So the carnal mind cannot be subject to the law of God. It cannot obey the law of God. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The extent of our depravity is, is comprehensive. We are totally unable to reform ourselves. We can't even help ourselves with God's help. In the sense that there is a collective and synergistic work going on in our lives to reform ourselves and to save ourselves. This is the condition that the Bible refers to when it says in Ephesians 2, 1, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're not merely sick, we're dead. And we need a resurrection, and you can't resurrect your life out of the dead. If you're sick or you're injured, perhaps maybe you can nurture yourself a little bit, but not when you're dead. Even our own will is not able to choose Christ unless God has first given us His Spirit and enabled us by His grace to give us the fruit of the faith so that we then can come to Christ. No matter how strongly I appeal to you, no matter what I say to you, I cannot get you to come to Christ unless first the Father draw you to Him. You cannot get yourself to come to Christ unless the Spirit of God is working in you to draw you to it. You are utterly incapable and unable to do it. No matter how hard I preach the gospel and no matter how hard I persuade you, you are utterly unable to do so. And that's what Jesus says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can't do it. He wants you to be very clear with that. Jesus says, you know what? All of you who are my disciples, who know me as the good shepherd, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. That's grace. That is grace. And fourthly, in this total depravity, this total rebellion against God, fourthly, is deserving of eternal punishment. In our condition of total depravity, the Bible says we were by nature children of God's wrath. By nature, in this total depravity, we are children of God's displeasure and God's wrath. For the wages of sin is death. And what that means is God is not only just, but He is also good to punish sinners with eternal damnation. God is good to do that. This is what we have earned for ourselves. It is our wages for the very sin that we have done in rebellion against our Creator and our God. This is what we righteously deserve. This is what is fair to us the next time your children say, Mommy, that's not fair. Do you really want what's fair? I don't want what's fair. I want mercy. I do not deserve it. 
The source of all of our problems goes back to our rebellion against God. And that is distorting the image of God in which we were originally created. And that is ultimately the source of all of our weaknesses. It is the source of all of our social problems. It is the source of all of our relational problems. It is the source of all of our physical problems. It is the source of all of our mental problems. It is the source of all our emotional problems. Every problem we have as humans traces its way back to our rebellion against God and our current state of depravity in our nature. In sum, that's the doctrine of depravity. Secondly, that's the first point. Secondly, first point had four points. <laughs> and what you think we're finished yet? Secondly, now that we've considered the doctrine of total depravity, that brings us to the glory of God's grace in Jesus Christ to address the problem. We're drawing the circle from the dot from our problems up to Christ, where you are complete in Him. While we're in this fallen, depraved condition, unable to choose Christ, unable to see Christ, unable to love Christ, unable to appreciate Christ, and unable to genuinely thank Christ, while our minds were at enmity against Him and our works were against Him working, God in His great love for us reconciled us to Himself in the body of Jesus Christ. That's what the Scripture goes on to say. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, yet now, has He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. How were you in His sight before? You were a wicked sinner in rebellion against God. An enemy was God. You hated God. In His sight, that is how He viewed you. No matter how you view yourself. But, yet now, He has reconciled you in the body of the flesh of Jesus Christ to Himself. So that you will be holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. 1 John 4.19 says, For we love God because the causative agent for our love for God is because He first loved us. God is abundant in His mercy was gracious to save us out of our rebellion and change our hearts so that we can serve Him with gladness and love and with the right purpose and with the right motive and that those good works that He has foreordained, that we would walk in them with joy and gladness. And the pains that we would endure and suffering for His namesake, we would do so gladly and in joy. And we would embrace the very sufferings of Christ like with Paul the Apostle would say, and I long to be partakers of those sufferings of Christ who loved me. And now in Christ the Bible informs me that I am complete in Him. It informs me that you are complete in Him. And I want us to consider that for a moment. Man was originally created in the image of God. That image of God 
included, right? You guys got this by now. It included an original righteousness and an original holiness and an original knowledge. So before God created in his image, here I am in holiness and righteousness and knowledge, unobstructed and unhindered of who God is and my relationship with him. In the fall, the image of God was not totally destroyed, but it was, it was maligned. And it was maligned in such a way that the very structure toward God was distorted, that it became a structural bent toward myself. In Christ, however, that fallen image is being restored as the old man in his flesh is being replaced with the new man who is new in Christ. Has that image been completely and finally and consummately restored in you? No, that's glory. That's glory. Is it being restored? Yes, that's grace and sanctification. That's your salvation. Now those characteristics from Paul's epistle to both the Ephesians and Colossians, he says it this way in Ephesians 4, that you put off concerning your former conduct, that old man which grows corrupt. The old man grows corrupt. Corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's how you were created. You were to put off the old man by putting on the new man. In Colossians 3, the, the parallel passage says, but now you yourselves are to put off these. He begins naming some of those characteristics of that old man in the flesh, which continues to grow in men of the flesh. Anger, wrath, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Original holiness, righteousness, and knowledge. That was part of the image. That, was that which was marred and scarred in the fall. Right? The only way that man can create and, and, and have things out there that we marvel at is because of the image of God, but because the image of God is turned inward now, it's distorted and it is not done for the glory of God. Even those things we marvel at are sin. Not the objects themselves, but the sin is the person. Sin cannot be an object taken away and inseparable from the very sinner that we're speaking of. Sin does not make any sense apart from a sinner. As the old man is being replaced by the new in Christ, the image of God is being restored. The curse is actually being reversed in your life. And the Bible informs us in Christ that we are complete. We are complete in Christ. For in Him you are complete. The question is, do you believe that? Is that the gospel that you believe? 
Have you given yourself to that gospel? That means that the gospel will address all of our problems. Every one of them. Every problem the gospel will address. In Christ, there is grace for every problem we have because the Bible says we are complete in Him. Peter would say it this way, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have given to us exceeding great and precious promises, and through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we've looked at total depravity in terms of the doctrine. We've considered this total depravity in light of the completeness that we have in Christ. It it takes us, and it doesn't leave it, it, it takes us and shows us of the grace of God in Christ Jesus who addresses you in all of your problems. But third, we need to understand that this gospel truth is not just for those who need to come to Christ, but for God's people right here this morning at Heritage to live out the rest of their lives in relation to their problems. This is where I'll have the greatest potential for being misunderstood, which will become the illustration that this doctrine is revealing. See, it actually comes down to the gospel for you. The gospel for you. Do you not want the power of God, which is available to you? That's the gospel. Do you not want to be saved and being saved from your sins? That's the gospel to you. The gospel applied to our lives daily also still informs us that we continue to struggle with an old man in ways that you and I are unaware. And even as Christians, we don't like to admit our sin issues. And that desire and that posture and that dislike is a sin itself rooted in pride and rebellion. Can you own that? Can you own that? You see some of those dots right now connecting? If you can't own that, you think that total depravity in the gospel is for unbelievers who need to come to Christ, and once they, they got their ticket, and they can throw it away. But even as Christians, if you do not like to admit... Now, none of us likes to admit our sins, but we tend to shy away from it to the place that we don't call it sin. We tend not to acknowledge that this is part of our depravity, that we continue to sin and we grieve God and we suppress the Spirit of God and we, we do wrong against our neighbor. And that in itself is a sin rooted in this pride and rebellion in our old depravity. 
That is to be repented of. As Christians, we need to understand the connection between the doctrine of total depravity and this distorted image of God that we bear is the chief cause of all of our problems. That is the chief cause of all of our problems. And Christ, who is reversing the effects of the fall, can address these problems with grace, and He is the ultimate solution to it all. So in other words, what I'm just saying is the gospel still applies to you. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. And the first thing to have this gospel working in your lives is to admit you are a sinner. Admit that this thing is a sin in your life. Admit the way that you think about this is a sin in your life. The way that you feel about this is a sin in your life. The relational problems that you have is a sin in your life. That's the first thing you need to do is come to ownership of your depravity. And the biggest enemy you have is not out there, but it's in here. And when you come to that place, you are finally in the posture and in the humility that grace will, will do in your lives. Because everywhere that grace, God's grace is beginning to flourish, it suppresses hu humility. See, God gives grace to the humble. I'm sorry, it suppresses pride. Grace flourishes in the atmosphere of humility. And it's pride that stands against the grace of God more than any other doctrine in the Scripture. And here we have what we call the first doctrine of grace, the total depravity of man. And the reason man doesn't like this is because man is proud and he likes to think of himself as somewhat good and can do good and can feel good about it so that other people see something to glory in Him. First thing we need to do is we just need to call sin in our lives what sin is in our lives. And there is a mercy. There is the grace. When sin has abounded, grace does much more abound, but you're going to have to acknowledge first That's sinful. So the first thing we need to do is seek God's grace for our problems. The first thing that we can even do to first seek God's grace for our problems is to admit the very nature of the problem is rooted in sin and rooted in this rebellion against God. Every one of us still struggle with that. Let's consider some of the problems that Christians have. Some of your problems, some of my problems. Let's just be honest and a little uncomfortable here for a few minutes to rehearse some of those things that we desire to be relieved from. We have relational problems. We have a relational problem. Now, I'm not talking about we in general. I'm talking about we at Heritage. Let's just make this real down to earth and let's just get right down to it because I'm afraid if I talk too generally with you and about you and all these kind of things that you're not going to own it. I want you to own this thing. We have relational problems. Now since every relationship flows from our relationship with God, all relational problems are going to be addressed in Christ. Own that. That's where the grace is. You are complete in Him. 
We have marital problems. Why don't we have marital problems? Everyone here who's married does have or will have marital problems. Why? Because there is the thing that God specifically did in bringing tension to that marriage relationship because of your rebellion. Now there's tension. Everybody here has marital problems or has had marital problems or will have marital problems. Let's just get that on. Do you have marital problems? Yeah, I have marital problems. I need help with my marital problems. You need God's grace because in Christ you are complete. Do not shy away that you're somehow going to be exempt from marital problems. If you tell me, after you've lived for 20 years in your marriage, I've never had a marital problem in my life, I'm going to say, you're a liar. I will tell you point blank to your face, you are a liar and you're trying to make God a liar. I do not believe you. That's just how real it is. Do, do, do my wife and I have marital problems? Yes. My mom and dad have marital problems? Yes. Do my grandparents have marital problems? Yeah. Will my kids have marital problems? Yes. Now just get that. We're, we're depraved people, but guess what? Where there was a curse, Christ is reversing the curse, and in Him we are complete. Where the image of, of God was marred, He is restoring it on us. Will you ever be exempt from your marital problems? Yes, in glory. And that's not just an abstract thing. We have the hope of glory in you, which is Christ in you. We have sibling rivalries. Well, that just comes right out of the marital problems, does it not? You know, you got this curse going on, and now all of a sudden Cain and Abel. You're going have problems in your home. You're going have problems with parent-child relationships because the rebellion that we have and the insubordination in our own spirit just rises up. This is just part of that old rebelliousness that we have against God. Any rebellion you have against authority is really rooted in your rebellion against God. I remember there are several times uh, that I have been counseling people and uh, there's a certain rebellious rebellion going on either with a child to a parent or a wife to a husband or something and and now I'm a pastor I don't have any hope that they're going to be <laughs> submissive to what I have to tell them as a pastor if they don't have any of the other structures right in their life because ultimately rebellion is against God and if they're rebelling against their husband or against their parent or against the authority they're going to rebel against me because they're rebelling against God it all relates. We all have these tendencies. Have I ever rebelled against my elders? Yes. Have I ever rebelled against my father? Yes. Have I ever rebelled against my mom? Many times. Just be honest about that. But how thankful we are for the forgiveness of sins. How thankful we are for Christ. Okay, And we're only going to know Christ if we can come to the place where we admit these things. We have parent-child relationships going on within heritage here. We have friendships that have been good friendships that have been distorted, and, and now they're not very close friendships here because of sin in your life, and because of pride, and because of lack of humility, and because of rebellion against God. Every relational problem you face is addressed in the gospel, but you are complete in Him. You get that relationship right with, you, with your, yourself, with Christ. You forget about the other person. Just get yourself right with Christ, and you are complete in Him, and you can just leave that relationship in God's hands and watch Him work. But you worry about that relationship with God in Christ. You are complete in Him. 
You've got to submit your depravity to the grace of God so that when you admit that, oh Lord God, my sin has abounded, God then comes and says, but my grace has all the more abounded in my son. You'll never get to the cross unless you first die to yourself to see it. We have relationship problems here. We got, we got mental and behavioral problems here at Heritage. We got behavioral problems. We got mental problems. We hear a lot about mental problems these days. Mental problems used to be a stigma. Some, it's now kind of somewhat vogue. I have a mental problem. I've got this disorder. This is happening because of me, because I've got this disorder, or this problem, or this mental problem, or this behavioral problem. I've been diagnosed with it. This is not coming from my heart. This is coming from something outside. This is coming from my environment. This is coming from Freud. Freud did this to me. <laughs> this is because of my, my parents. This is what happens to me. This is because I grew up in some way. This is what my problem is. I've got behavioral problems. And I'll guarantee you, right now as the day is long, my mom has told me all since I've been growing up, you've got behavioral problems, son. And my dad would take me and he would deal with my behavioral problems. And he would lead me to Christ. And I'm going to tell you, I'm the first to admit it, i got mental problems. I'm not proud about it. I don't think right. I don't draw conclusions right. i got all the data before me and I'm just wrong on a lot of conclusions I draw. I quickly judge my, my children and being wrong, and then I get the rest of the story, and I'm like, oh, man, that was a mental problem. I'm not proud of it. Some of you got mental problems, behavioral problems. Okay, let's just, you all do. You all do. Do you own that? There's a lot of idolatry today that's going on in the church. Because they're calling something else less than sin, and then they're finding the remedy for it apart from Christ, which the remedy will never avail. An untrained and a disciplined child today gets diagnosed as ADHD. And they're prescribed Ritalin for their behavioral problems because their parents do not train and discipline them according to the truth. And so we throw a drug at it, we've wrongly diagnosed it, and we are not leading them to the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, but rather we are driving them far from it and teaching them to fall down and worship the bales and the idols of this world. We have now replaced God with something else. We've replaced the gospel with another remedy. That's repeated over and over and over and over again in the church of Jesus Christ when we're not calling sin what it is. And we're not finding the grace to help. Now, this may offend some of you, and you may disagree with me, but the majority of behavioral problems and mental illnesses, and mental issues, are being diagnosed today that are not in agreement with the Word of God. In fact, they are a denial of the gospel. To believe them is idolatrous because you replaced God in them. There's a growing number of phobias and disorders that are rooted in a heresy that says man is essentially good. We have evolved from the animal life, or at least we're neutral. 
It is not starting off with the first trajectory that we are in rebellion against God. And modern psychological science promotes these disorders that are rooted in a science that is founded in a rebellion against their Creator. And while they have known the truth, they suppressed the truth, neither were they thankful, and now their minds are completely demented. And they go on and we buy their science. And we buy their remedies and we buy their diagnosis when the Bible says, but you are complete in him. So with this evolutionary model of man, a denial that our problems are rooted in the rebellion against God whose existence they deny, they then give us solutions and we buy them and bring them into the church and promote them and we talk more about those things than we do about Completeness in Christ. Completeness in Christ. We have emotional problems. We have fears and anxieties and phobias. We even have physical problems. Did you know that even the gospel addresses your physical problems? Did you know that even your sanctification is an aspect of physical? And the God of grace sanctify you wholly. Can you complete that next sentence? Body, soul, and spirit is what the Bible tells us. We have problems with identity. And now we have problems with gender. We have problems with purpose. And we have problems with our overall well-being in life. We have problems of life itself. Now I say all this That your fear, your phobia, your anxiety, whatever upsets you, whatever your problems are, you're experiencing. First aspect of denying the gospel is denying that the source and the root of all of that is your rebellion against God. And if you do deny that, you're already on the wrong path and addressing any of this with God's grace. In fact, you may rest content in your life in not addressing problems in your life at all. Well, that's just the way I am. I have this phobia. That I'm just content. That, that's, I'm, that. Yet the Bible says we are complete in Christ, and He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, which is what He expects of His people. He has saved us to be holy, to be set apart, to be righteous, and to be knowledgeable. And the gospel is something that He puts out there for us to believe, and we must believe it. And the first part of believing that gospel is owning the fact that our ultimate source of all of our problems is rooted in our sinful rebellion against God, which we distorted in our great fall. If you do not begin there, you will discount the grace of God and the life of the work of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The very power that raised Christ from the dead, you will deny if you do not first look and acknowledge your sinfulness so that grace may abound. Everyone has problems, and if Christians seek remedies for their problems apart from the grace of Christ, They are idolatrous and denying the very gospel that saved them. Yes, I am being misunderstood, I feel, even as I speak. We'll have a Q&A time this afternoon to flesh these things out, but I stand by them. 
because this is for your good. We have problems. This we cannot deny. But the first and the main thing for a Christian to seek in his or her life, to have this gospel address them in their problems and seeking God's grace and believing God's grace is sufficient, is to acknowledge the problem that they have is sourced and rooted in our rebellion against God and our depravity that we've inherited from Adam. Number two, not only do all Christians have problems because of the old man's flesh that is still very much a part of us, but secondly, we need to know that we need each other in our lives to help us understand the nature of our problems and helping us find the grace to address it. We need each other. By the way, this is not a job for human psychiatrists or humanist psychiatrists who will address problems apart from God, but the role of every one of us to play in the lives of each other. That's why the Bible says, admonish one another. Admonish one another. He's not just speaking to pastors there. He is speaking to one another in community of God's people so that we would speak the truth in love. We need each other. We have blind spots. We, don't, we can't see because of our old sin. Sometimes there's a residual man that keeps us and blinds us. And we're off in this direction. We say, brother, you're heading the wrong direction. This is the root of the problem. And third, part of the vision of heritage, and this is where we're coming to, part of the vision of heritage is to own our depravity and to understand the nature of the solution is ultimately in God's grace in Jesus Christ. In Him you are complete. He's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ. And we need each other here in helping us through our sin problems, our emotional problems, our marital problems, our mental and behavioral problems, our relational problems, our fears, our phobias, our worries. I mean, I was... I was in Italy just a few months ago with my 86-year-old mom, and she goes, you struggle with worry. I need that. I need to own up to some of these things that deny the gospel in my own lives and not try to live above it or, or paint a scene to you that I am someone that I am not. Folks, we, we need each other. We need to help each other. Help us connect the dots from our depravity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. From our sin to grace. And to do so, we have to discern the root issue of the problems and address these things and to own it. And then we have to see where the gospel of grace is relevant to the problem. And we have to apply the means of grace to our lives. And as Paul would tell Timothy, discipline ourselves into godliness. And we need to speak the truth into each other's lives in love. In kindness. And suffering long, and gentleness, and goodness. Now, this is not a denial of medical help when it's needed. It's the denial of the idolatry that replaces the gospel of grace in our lives. Idolatry is rooted in the denial of our own depravity. Idolatry is rooted in not taking responsibility for our problems and our sin issues. And part of the vision of heritage is the purity of the gospel in our own lives. That also includes taking responsibility for your sins and dealing with your sins with the gospel of grace. 
If you have marital problems, God holds you accountable and you are responsible before God to deal with those issues with the gospel. And you might need some help helping you see and helping you apply those things. We all do. Okay? But you need to address the problem and get to Christ. Address the problem and get to Christ. And this is from glory to glory to glory. But to fail to deal with your problem in the gospel itself is sin and rebellion against God. And now that has to be dealt with. See, it's a constant thing that we have to walk by faith, not by sight. By faith in what? By faith in the gospel. By faith in believing that you are complete in Him. By faith in not denying the very true things of your life that must be dealt with. And that you're responsible to deal with. If you have fears and phobias to simply live your life in the matter of that weakness and being content not to deal with them and not to address them with the gospel is very displeasing to God and that is sin. I've had people angry at me for calling their fears sin. I don't care if you're angry at me. Just deal with it. Let me help you with it. Do you want to just be fearful all your life because it says that those who are fearful will not inherit the kingdom of God? I am here to help you with that and I need you to help me with that. This is big stuff, important stuff, people. Deal with these things with the gospel of Jesus Christ because you are complete in Him. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? We've got to deal with these things. If you're prone to worry, you've got to deal with that sin by calling it what it is and then knowing the promises of God, getting to the grace of Christ, knowing that I'm complete in Christ, complete in everything. You have behavioral disorders or emotional issues. You must acknowledge your depravity, take responsibility, and do not deny the gospel in your life and rely on Christ to address your problems with grace. Do you believe that? That's the question. Do you believe the gospel? In other words, the doctrine of total depravity brings us to an awareness that the biggest problems we have is within us, not without us. And the biggest answer that we have is within us, Christ in you, not without us. He is the hope of glory. God will hold us accountable for our responsibility to seek His grace. He's empowered you now to do so. Now as believers and now as He's changed your heart, you do seek God. It was once you were alienated and enemies in your mind, but not anymore. You were under God's wrath, but not anymore. You were on a road to destruction, but not anymore. You are complete. You have to believe it. You have to embrace it. You have to give yourselves to it. But we cannot be satisfied unless that old man is constantly being replaced by that new man in Christ. Don't be satisfied with the residual sin in your life. Let others, let others help you. To connect the dots between your problems and Christ if it's necessary. But constantly be evaluating your life in the light of the Scripture and letting the Spirit of God drive you to that place. Let's make our church really an atmosphere. And this is where we have a lot of work to do, people. We need to make our church an atmosphere such that we can acknowledge our problems and sin issues without the fear of others judging us. 
We also need to make this an atmosphere so that our own pride isn't always worried about what other people think about us regarding our self-righteousness. Our self-righteousness. Because you're not. Okay? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Let's just call it what it is. Because when sin abounds, then, then grace can much more abound. We need to make the air that we breathe here a loving air, a kind air, an air that suffers long, an air that does not judge or is critical, an air that wants to help, an air that does not always come to help with advice. Sometimes it needs to be an air that just listens, an air that relates, an air that prays for victory, an air that knows that where your brother is hurting You are struggling too in another area of your life. And we need each other. We need the atmosphere of one that rids itself of hypocrisy and critical spirit and a judgmental spirit. And we need to make the gospel sweet to each other. The gospel is not not something that should be disdained. It is not something that we should be repelled. It is something that we need to breathe and embrace. It needs to be that fragrance, a sweet aroma. And it is sweet to those who are being saved by it. gospel of grace makes us more gracious and humble in our lives. And if it's not, you're not owning your sin. We have a lot of issues to work through. And it starts with humility to admit our own sins, to own them and acknowledge that we are complete in Christ and he addresses us in our problems. And as the passage earlier says, if you continue in the faith, And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Do not move away from the hope of the gospel. And that starts with owning where it needs to address us the most. We have a need, but in Christ we are complete. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we acknowledge our sinfulness and our sins. We acknowledge the corporate sins of this church body. We admit that we've been judgmental. We're too quick to do that. We do that because we're, on, we're, we're self-righteous. We don't see the beam in our own eyes. Lord, we have made it not very easy for us to go and talk to other people about what we're struggling with in our lives. We can be critical. We can be just too quick with advice. Where we need to be sharing the goodness and the riches of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would teach us and change us. And we pray that you would meet us in our greatest need with Christ. Because in Him we are complete. And in us, He is our hope of glory. Strengthen our faith in these very essentials. That we would not be moved away in our faith. But we would all the more embrace the gospel. Yes, even our depravity which leads us to Christ where we are complete. In humility, O God, we ask that you would forgive us. And we ask that you would change us. 
Lord, in the presence of your people here, I ask that that change at Heritage would begin with me. And I pray this year would be a wonderful year of growing in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.